0: been complaining and complaining and complaining Mm. about the kitchen renovation.
1: Oh, God, yes, I have.
0: Well, you know, you're getting your dream kitchen out of the deal.
1: I am, but you know what it's like to have 12 men working in your home six days a week? Mm. It's a little tough, but I did get my dream kitchen, I absolutely absolutely love it and it's done it's done i, I haven't even
0: seen a picture yet
1: no i know i'm still writing the blog post but yeah
0: yeah you keep saying that I
1: know. all that's left though is the tiny little touch-ups of paint because apparently i have driven the painter so crazy that he really doesn't want to come back
0: can't imagine that
1: <laughs> And so there's these little touch-ups that he has to do, so I have them all marked with post-it notes I'm all sure over the kitchen. i you
0: do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it really is a beautiful kitchen.
0: Well, I can't wait to see it. Can you tease me a little? Tell sure, me about sure. it. Sure,
1: going to be a kitchen tease? Of course I can. Um, we, the island got bigger. The island is about a seven, maybe eight-foot island.
0: That's bigger than my entire
1: kitchen. And it's deeper than it was. And there's a range top. All the appliances are from KitchenAid. They very graciously gave them to me Love that? and yeah and it's a 36 inch hunka hunka masculine range top and there's this simmer function on these really two big 20,000 BTU burners oh, good lord that you put all the way down to low and you can put your hand over it and I don't have to pull it away it's that low yet it melts things beautifully mm.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of sorry I asked.
1: Do you have uh, kitchen jealousy, kitchen envy? I have kitchen envy. I'm David Leet, publisher of the website Leet's Culinaria.
0: And I'm Renee Shuttler rossi its editor-in-chief.
1: And this is Talking With My Mouthful. In today's show, we're talking more about kitchens. Kitchens
0: both large and small.
1: Large, exactly, large and small, with cookbook author and TV star Rachel Koo. And we're talking to the
0: charming Southern gentleman, John Bridges, about table manners.
1: Yes, and also chilling desserts with all Chilling desserts. The kind that has to go into the freezer refrigerator. Ah. Chilling, cooling desserts. With author and blogger, Faith Duran.
2: Que la vie est belle, le jour à la nuit mon a quelques soucis, parfois aussi.
0: David, you're a little extra smiley today.
1: I'm, mean, oh, I am.
0: You're blushing. You got a haircut.
1: I did. I got a haircut, and I am blushing, and I, I'm blushing because of our guest today, uh, Rachel Koo. Um, I have a wee bit of a crush on Rachel. I knew it. Yeah, I do. And I first came across Rachel, actually, on my 50th birthday. We were going from Barcelona to Paris, Mm -hmm. and they were playing her show on the airplane, My Little Paris Kitchen, and they had several episodes, and I was watching them over and over again.
0: Over and over and over.
1: And I just became smitten. I'm an Anglophile. I'm a Francophile. She's from Britain, and she lives in Paris. What more could you want?
0: Well, and you're not the only one to have a crush on Rachel. I mean, everyone I know is gaga over Rachel, Coo.
1: I, um, I I can understand why.
0: Although I've never seen you, Gaga. It's kind of sweet.
1: Yeah, that's it's a little rare for me.
0: Anyways, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Clearly, it's David's pleasure.
1: Absolutely. I can't <laughs> stop smiling. I'm sorry. So, Rachel, tell us, what's a nice British girl like you doing in a place like Paris?
3: well i mean try and do a short version of my story basically i was working in fashion pr marketing in london Mm -hmm. had enough of my fashionable life Mm -hmm. and well i moved to paris and learned how to bake cakes so i enrolled at uh, le cordon bleu in Paris to Mm -hmm. study patisserie. And eight years later, I find myself promoting a cookbook (laughs) in New York. (laughs) You're living the dream. Yeah, And having a TV show. And TV show. I mean, I didn't set out to say, right, I want to cookbook deal and I I want to, you know, be on TV. It was Mm -hmm. more that I felt I've got a story to tell because, you know, my cookbook is about how I discovered French food, about living in Paris, and you know,
1: cooking in a small kitchen.
3: Cooking in a small kitchen, which most of my prison friends, you know, have. Right. Sure. Um, so it's it's I very much like cookbooks that tell a story. So I, that's what I wanted to put in my cookbook and then I thought for a TV show, it's kind of fun to uh, cook in a small space and see a bit of Paris you don't normally see. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So if you can think back to when you first started cooking in your small
0: Paris kitchen, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you feel like were maybe the most unexpected, but the most important lessons that you learned about being in
3: such a tiny space? So being in a tiny space Mm -hmm. is very boring, but you have to be organized You know, the first thing I learned in culinary school is to clean as you go. And in restaurants, they're super strict about that. But you have to be very strict about that when you're cooking in a small space. Because if it's a mess, you don't have any space to actually cook if you have everything piled up. And, you know, plus there's always a lot of washing up. And I hate washing up. I hate (laughs) washing dishes. But unfortunately, when you're in a small kitchen, there's no room for dishwasher.
1: dishwasher. So, yeah. And you also do some interesting thing with storage, if I'm not mistaken, that you store things inside your oven when it's turned off am I not right
3: in my oven um, on my little window ledge Uh so that's what you call a Parisian fridge you know most people don't uh, have they have a very small fridge mm -hmm. so you stick fruit and vegetables um outside on the little ledge um in winter, you can always get away with a bottle of milk as well, um, which has happened to me in the past when my fridge broke down. But basically, it's all about using, maximizing the space you have and just being really clever about the storage. And you entertain quite often from your kitchen. A lot, a lot. I mean, I my apartment in Paris is 21 square meters. I'm not sure that what that's in feet, but it's small, basically. Someone home, you'll figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm a word person, not a math person, sorry. <laughs> So, but I can fit a table for four in my apartment. So, oh, you know, I mean, so I'd have two people sitting on chairs, one person on the couch and <laughs> one person on the stool around the table. And it's a bit of a squeeze, but it's possible.
1: And what would you say are some of the differences between French entertaining and American entertaining?
3: I'm not sure. I certainly know between the British and okay. the, the French. Like for me, um, Parisians are not afraid to actually go buy dessert. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to a beautiful patisserie and you buy a cake there, sure. or you buy some dessert and you we take it. They can't do
0: it better than yeah. they can.
3: Exactly. They're like, you know what? I bought it from the best place. I'm going to serve this at my dinner party. Whereas in the UK, it's like, oh, I bought a dessert. You know, it's like, well, quick kind the box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We do that of, in America,
1: too. You know? It's like shame, shame if you go out and buy a dessert. You need to make your own in America. At least that's what I think.
3: Well, but our desserts... Our bakeries tend not to be anything at all. Like yeah, they're not, the not patisserie like in Paris. no. I know, I know. We were, like in Paris, you're really spoilt for the amazing patisserie and the kind of things that are difficult to make at home. I mean, I used to teach patisserie at a cookery school in Paris mm-hmm. and um, teaching beginners in half a day to make French desserts. Oh dear. Uh, it's a bit demanding. Right, right. <laughs> but um, cuz it takes a lot of training and skills and it's a real craftsmanship, you know, in terms of having that finesse and that touch, you know, you can't just bung it all in a no, pot. No.
1: No, it, right. it takes quite a long time to learn that. And you know, it's interesting because on the site we have a recipe from your new book, The Little Paris Kitchen.
0: You're blushing again, David. <laughs> <Stop>.
1: <laughs> Would you talk us through the recipe tell her what it is and so she can talk through it?
3: We have your fabulous Crookman
0: and muffins.
3: Oh yes. They were like it was amazing when I made it on the TV show mm-hmm. and it aired on the that. BBC. And the Twitter response and then Facebook everybody who made their own version would send me a photo and oh, that's great. You know, like. So it's good fun. It's very simple. They're kind of cupboard Talk ingredients. Us it. So it's um piece of bread mm-hmm. which you butter and you pop it in your muffin tin. And it's just like Sliced white bread, which is pretty much heresy. Which is heresy in Paris. I know, I know. But I like to be a bit naughty. (laughs) (laughs) A bit bit naughty. See, that's why I have a crush on her. She's a bit naughty. (laughs) So, um, sliced white bread, you butter, and then you make a simple, like, bechamel sauce. Mm. And you put that a bit in there, in the cup, um, with an egg and some ham and some cheese, and you bake it. And then when you... Take it out of the oven, you cut into it, and um, you've got the oozy cheese sauce and the the yolk. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's just, you know, playing around with a classic um, French uh, dish, which is uh, Croque Madame, Mm -hmm. which is grilled cheese sandwich with an egg on top and Mm -hmm. ham, but with a twist on it and having a bit of fun, you know. Well, I love that you make it really approachable.
1: So in Paris, everyone knows you go marketing and you get whatever's available that particular day. How does that affect the way that you cook?
3: I mean, basically when you go to the market, the way I shop is what's in season, what Mm -hmm. looks great. You know, when you go often to the market, you kind of get friendly with the fruit and veg guy you have Mm -hmm. the cheese lady, the butcher and they will say, well, Rachel this week we have XYZ in season, you know, it's only here for two weeks and they'll rave about it and they often give you recipe recommendations Like, I cook it like this, Mm. you have to cook it like this and I'm like, oh, okay (laughs) and they expect you to report back.
0: Do
1: you ever bring back what you make for them?
3: Um, Sometimes, I often when I'm testing cake recipes, Mm -hmm. it's always good to because cake's easier to give away than yeah. a pot roast, yeah. You know, so um, I often do little cake parcels for all the people in oh, my neighborhood. Because otherwise, if I ate it all myself, I'd be enormous. <laughs> oh yeah, I,
1: I'm, I'm certainly intimately familiar with that issue.
0: <laughs> Still blushing.
1: <laughs> well, Rachel, thank you for stopping by. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And Merci. Oh <laughs> um, uh, yeah. and best of luck with the book. We love it. Rachel Koo is the star of the BBC cooking program The Little Paris Kitchen and the author of three cookbooks including The Little Paris Kitchen which has been translated into nearly a dozen different languages. You'll find her on Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter and on rachelkoo.com. That's rachelkhoo.com
3: I'm on Instagram too. <laughs> but don't worry, it's
4: okay. <laughs>
1: Renee, tell me, did Mama Shetler teach you good manners at the table?
0: <laughs> David, you forget I grew up on a farm.
1: That's true, yes.
0: But yes, I mean, mm-hmm. Mom definitely taught me not to talk with my mouth full.
1: Mm-hmm. And Take little bites?
0: No, no, she didn't teach me that. Um, she definitely taught me to set the table, if that counts. Mm-hmm. But... it wasn't exactly white table dining.
1: Okay, see, for me, it didn't get beyond fork on the left and knife and spoon on the right and get your elbows off the table. It's about as far as it went. (laughs) But the intricacies of dining, I mean, no one really teaches you that if you think about it, right? Yeah, you're right. But our next guest, John Bridges, who is the co-author of A Gentleman at the Table, will explain it all, except, well, to me, it's a gentleman, not to you, so you can just listen in. Welcome, John. Uh, Thank you, David. Good to be with you. John I got to say I am fascinated by your book. I just I thought it was fantastic. Well that's great, David. I love being the fascinator in this conversation. I, you know I picked it up at Brooks Brothers, which I think is sort of a bastion of gentlemanliness. Now, well that that would be the idea. Now tell me why did you write the book? What do you think we men are missing that we needed a
2: guy to be more gentlemanly at the table? Well I think the moment when you come to the table table manners, That is the thing that terrifies men perhaps more than anything else in the whole world. Mm. This book is one of a series of books. In fact, there are a dozen books in this series. Brian Curtis, my co-author, and I have written this book. We call it the Manners series. But The Gentleman at the Table is one of a dozen books in this series because it is an area that people simply are stymied by when it comes to manners and behavior people seem to feel that that's the moment at which they're being judged whether they know which fork to use you know whether they would know how to order the wine or pour the wine or whatever that seems to be the moment of terror Oh, well, that's like the, the scene in Pretty Woman. Remember that? Yes. Which is, you yes. know, which... Yes,
0: it's fabulous. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think it becomes very overwhelming because it's like, oh, my God, I have to do this right, and I have to do that right. And there's so many things to keep track of.
2: People build up such terror before they get to right. the table. That's good point. You know, right. when, when there's really no reason to. I mean, you, you are going to eat your food and, and survive right. this list. Like
0: performance anxiety.
2: Oh, completely yes. that, yes.
0: So if you uh-huh. could narrow it down to one thing that people can keep keep in mind that they really ought to mind at the table, what would that be?
2: Well, it, uh, the main thing is to take a big deep mm. breath and look at what's laid out there in front of you. Right. If there's more than one fork, you start at the outside and you nice. move in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, there's, if there's more than one knife, you start with the outside and move in. That's the easiest thing. And the first thing to get yourself sort of situated at the table, Put the napkin in your lap and be calm, and then move on from there. How about that? Okay, that's good. Let me ask you
1: this, John. Now, when it comes to just a table knife on the right hand side,
2: right, does the blade face toward the plate or away from the plate? Toward the plate. Thank because you. Because most much. people most people are right handed, and so when you pick up the knife, then it's going to be. Good. Correct for you to use at that point. I have a few friends whose hands I'm going to slap because they've been (laughs) Uh doing
1: it wrong for years and they insist that they're doing it right. wait
0: one second. Now, John, what would you do? Would you slap Ah, someone's hand?
2: Good point. I would never slap someone's hand. How would you tell someone your knife is pointing the wrong way, ma'am? I probably would not say anything about that unless I were able to go around the table ahead of time and just move all the (laughs) knives the right way very quietly.
0: I knew I liked you, John.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, because, of course, the rudest thing you can do when you know the way to behave is to try to tell people at the table how to behave. David, did you
1: hear that? that? I do. You've never met my partner, the one, because Ah. he will tell everyone what's wrong. He will adjust the lighting. He will adjust the flowers in someone's house to suit his taste.
0: He's not the only one who tells people what they do wrong.
1: (laughs) So, John, we're going to give you a little quiz here, and we want to know kind of what would happen if you were in this situation or what the right thing to do is. And these are all things that actually have happened to either me or I've seen happen or to Renee.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Well, so first of all, this is kind of the old Julia Child story that circulates. You've got dinner guests at the table. Everyone's waiting. You drop the roast on the floor. It's the
2: five second rule, right? (laughs) Yep. Yes. I knew that's where you were headed on that. So there's no problem. You can pick it up five seconds. You're in there, you're by yourself. I mean, who's gonna know? That's why you keep yeah, exactly. the kitchen door closed. But of course, these days where everybody has a kitchen island and really? everybody's eating around the kitchen. Well, right?
0: that's why I don't have an open kitchen. No,
2: we have ah. we have a closed kitchen. You know what my
1: grandmother used to do? She if she dropped something on the floor, she'd pick it up, she'd kiss it, and say Jesus loves you, and that was it. <laughs> it was I love all. That. I, it I love your grandmother. Oh my God!
2: I love your grandmother. So I'm sure your grandmother had a clean floor too. Uh, well, like, of course it was spotless. <laughs> the scrupulously, it scrupulously clean.
0: I've got a question for you. A guest Mm -hmm. arrives not with his wife, but what appears to be his mistress. Mm. How do you handle that?
2: Yes. I I have been there. Well, they arrive with someone else. You say, I'm so glad you could join us. And then later, you know, maybe offside or maybe even the next day after, you can say, hey, Bill. What's happened to Myrtle? You know, and okay. figure out if something's going on. See, but I would Myrtle. It up.
1: Well, you know, you are a gentleman because I would have picked up the phone right there and
2: then called Myrtle oh. and said, "Do you realize that Bill's here with someone else?" You would not. I, well, I would. I would have waited until the next day. Well, that's a call. That. But for one thing, because I have my guest, my other guest to take care of. It Good that point.
1: Way. And then the last question is: uh, the dinner is lasting longer than most. Let's say five hours or so, and the host gets up, excuses himself
2: very quietly, and goes to bed. What would you well, do or think of that? If As a guest, what would I do or what would I think of it? Well, I would think, number one, if you're the host, unless you really have just gotten yourself blotto at that point, you should be able to prop yourself up and make it through the dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are the host. And if, if your friends are having a great time, you should be part of that. If they're just boring you to tears, mm-hmm. there always is that point at which you can say, this has been so great, folks. But I've got an early morning tomorrow. Oh, man, yep. that is so classy. The I reason why
1: that. I asked that last one is I am the person who actually twice, I really did this, got up from my dinner table, left the one there with our guests and went to bed.
0: Oh, my Lord.
1: I just was <laughs> exhausted. I had cooked all day long. I was tired.
0: Didn't you try the hints, like the coffee? And-
1: no, it didn't. None of it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because I'm having such a great time. Well,
2: thank you. That is the way I like to think. And you should be flattered and charmed and all that.
0: Did the dinner party pick up after you
1: left?
2: No, they left right after <laughs> I went to bed. So, Well, which, which was what you
1: meant anyhow. That's exactly it. Well, John, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for schooling us a bit and how to handle ourselves at the table and also as a host and guest. And we hope to talk to you soon.
0: Thank you so much, John.
1: It's a pleasure for me. Thank you. John Bridges is the consummate Southern gentleman and is the co-author of A Gentleman at the Table and 11 other books on manners. You can find John at johnbridges.com and his books are found online at amazon.com. Renee, I have been in your apartment. You're an E's apartment, and I've been in your kitchen, which has a southeast exposure mm-hmm. and minimal air conditioning.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a lot of circulation
1: and ventilation. The... No and ventilation. It is hot as hell in there. Damn hot. Now, how do you cook in that? Do you have some superpowers?
0: I guess I just... Is
1: best to skin or something?
0: No, I just am not afraid to sweat, I guess. I mean, you've got to do what you got to do.
1: doesn't bother you.
0: Well, bothers me, but you got to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't cook as much during summer. Try not to turn the oven on.
1: Well, our next guest understands the need to keep the oven off during all these heat waves we've been having this summer. Faith Duran is the executive editor of TheKitchen.com, author of the brand spanking new book, Bakeless Sweets. And, of course, she is an LC contributor hi thanks for popping in faith all the way from ohio
4: that's right i flew here just to sit down with you and talk about bakeless sweets and Aww. we
1: are honored
4: <laughs> we really are we love you oh, we, i love you
1: <laughs> now i love the idea everyone's all this loves going on in the room right i love the idea of bakeless sweets and especially in summer because frankly i'm not one of those people who glow and Definitely I, not I not don't much. even sweat. I don't, you don't even glisten, sweat. No, you're... I schwitz really bad. I schwitz. I know you're you...
0: schwitzing now.
1: <laughs> but I know that you didn't write a book about bakeless sweets for those of us who have overactive sweat glands, did you? For <laughs> a very specific well, reason.
4: <laughs> I wrote bakeless sweets because I love pudding and no baked desserts, and they just. Don't get enough love. So if we're going to talk about love, let's talk about love for pudding.
1: This is going to be a love
4: segment. It's a list. Well, it's interesting you talk about
0: puddings because I was looking through your book and I was thinking bakeless, 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 like this is great. And I was really surprised at how many puddings there are. And of course, duh, puddings don't require an oven. So tell us, Pudding Maven.
1: <laughs> Do you think that bakeless desserts are kind of like a gateway drug for those people who are really bad? At baking? Mm.
4: I hope so. And also, why is baking the ultimate way of making desserts? It's not. Custards and puddings have a very long and illustrious history and they're so delicious and people just go crazy for them. I made butterscotch pudding for my brother's wedding. I catered nice. my brother's wedding Silly. last last January and I made homemade butterscotch pudding because number one, it's easy and you mm-hmm. can do it in a big batch and you can do it ahead. And people just went crazy over it. They were like, did you make this from a box? And yeah. I was like, no, of course I didn't make it from a box. It's very easy to make at home from scratch and it's wholesome, it's milk, it's sugar, and it's really delicious.
1: Talking about not making something from a box, I think you kind of bitch slapped all those church ladies who bring lime jello <laughs> no.
4: surprise. <supplies to> <laughs> but that functions. stuff is good in its own way. I mean, come on. But you, you
1: really have very strong feelings about that lime. Yes gelatin product that's packaged yeah
4: i love gelatin i think there's nothing quite like gelatin it just melts in your mouth in this really great way but who wants all those artificial flavors you can take plain gelatin and mix it with fruit juice and you have this dessert for your kids or yourself with no added sugar and whatever juice you like i love making little jellies out of guava juice or mango Mm. nectar and there's nothing else in it and it takes literally like three minutes
1: So talk us through your pure lime gelatin dessert.
4: If I was going to make a pure lime gelatin dessert, Mm -hmm. I would juice limes Mm -hmm. fresh and I would mix it with sugar and warm it until it's sort of like limeade, like a really concentrated limeade. Mm -hmm. And then I would melt a little bit of plain gelatin in it and then I would put it in a pan and let it set.
0: So that lime gelatin sounds fabulous and it's clearly a classic Um, but we've got a couple other recipes on the site from your book faith and they include the cardamom mousse Mm. Mm. with honey and the grapefruit panna cotta. And I've got to say, like, I don't think of those as puddings, but you're right. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're creamy and they're so quick to put together and Mm. they've got these amazing textures. Like tell us a little bit more about how these ideas came to you.
4: Well, the grapefruit panna cotta in particular was one that I... I, it's one of my favorites because there's a real mix in there of bitter and sweet, mm-hmm. which I personally really love in desserts. Not everybody loves. So I kind of put this warning on it, like, hello, adult content inside <laughs> of the panna cotta. Um, but nice. I really, really love how with panna cotta you can use gelatin to thicken almost anything. So in that, I replace some of the dairy with juice, just mm-hmm. straight up juice. The best strawberry panna cotta you make with strawberry puree and some cream. And that's just how you get that really intense fruit flavor. So that's one thing I really love about panacotta is you can make it a little bit less fatty. If you're into that, you can just really amp up fruit flavor. Um, And then the cardamom mousse, I really love Indian food. And so that came very directly out of my love for Indian food. Um, Yogurt, the yogurts you get, and of course, cardamom is a very strong, you know, it's it's a very common spice in Indian mm-hmm. cooking. And then also there's honey in it. And I love the taste of honey and yogurt together. Um, my mom used to give mm-hmm. us big bowls of yogurt with honey swirled into it when we were growing up for lunch. And I just that's a, there's yeah, a very nice. nostalgic yeah. kind of connection I have to yogurt and honey together. I love that. Well, and it's so quick. The yeah, you put it's together. very quick.
0: That one so is. speaking of quick, so say like your friend calls and she's just going to drop by in like an hour, Mm -hmm. and you want to whip something together that you can serve for her. I mean, I guess puddings give you enough time to kind of cook and clean up. Mm
4: -hmm. But they have to chill. They do, but I would probably make... Well, let me tell you a story. Okay. So I have a friend who was visiting. He's a friend of my husband's and mine, and he was visiting, and he was going on and on about how much he loves panna cotta, Mm because we were talking about my book. Mm -hmm. And I had just made dinner. We were having pizza, homemade pizza, and we were about to sit down to eat, and I was like, well, if you like panna cotta so much, let's just let me make some (laughs) so I made sour cream panna cotta from the book Um, it it sets very quickly partly because the sour cream just adds body and you don't need as much liquid other liquid and I literally I timed it it took five minutes from the time I took the ingredients out of the fridge the time I put the panna cotta back in we sat down ate pizza and then an hour later we had dessert it was pizza wasn't even cold by the time you sat down to eat dinner that's great
1: because so many times people want something they go I can't make dessert during the week well, you can't if you have to put something in the oven. It takes about 30 minutes for the oven to preheat exactly. anyway, right? Right, So this is wonderful. But I think also one of the things we really should have our listeners understand that this is not just about gelatin or panna cotta, but there's a lot of other desserts in there. There's mousse recipes. There's icebox. box
0: ice box cakes. In fact, you've got this whole section at the beginning of the book, which I love. It's my favorite part with all these different lists of your favorite desserts yeah. for different occasions or seasons that's or
4: right. moods.
1: You even have a crust.
4: I do. I have several crusts. No bake crusts. Yes, that's right. I have a scotch marshmallow pie mm-hmm. with a corn wow. fruit crust. That's that one of my wonderful. favorites. Yes, yeah, it does. It has a hefty dose of scotch. So I, I really recommend it. Well, no complaints a here. Drinker. All the more better. <laughs>
1: Faith, I want to thank you for coming all the way from Ohio just to see us and sit down for a few minutes and talk
4: about your book. Oh, it's just such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Faith
0: Durand is the author of the very cool cookbook, Bakeless Sweets. She's also executive editor of TheKitchen.com. That's TheKitchen, K-I-T-C-H-N. No E. No E.com. Drop in and say hi to her at FaithDurand.com, or on Facebook or on Twitter at FaithDurand.
1: Renee, it's that time again. What would you recommend on the specials board?
0: What wouldn't I recommend from our specials board? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's late summer, so we've got an abundance of recipes that make use of everything that is on your countertop right now, zucchinis, tomatoes, everything. But what I'm really excited about is we've got the perfect technique for grilled ribeye. Really? Perfect. Everyone who's made it this way Mm -hmm. swears by it. It's very simple.
1: Mm And you can find it on the site
0: you can find it on the site salt pepper ribeye grill that's all you need we've also got dozens literally dozens of ways to bring on brain freeze
1: oh excellent so all we have to do is go to the site look up brain freeze and we'll find it you'll find it all right well thanks for joining us for another episode of talking with my mouthful we want to thank our guests rachel Koo, john bridges and faith duran our producer is Tom Vaguely, and our engineer is Paul Ruest of Argo Studios right here in Chelsea, New York City.
0: I'm Renee shuttler rossi
1: And I'm David Leet. Join us next time when we're sure to be talking with our mouth full.